Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA plus business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA plus businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA plus business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. Hi, this is Amory Zanzel. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Business Success. I am so excited to welcome Callie and Winter to the show to that today. His pronouns are he, him, they, and he identifies as a mask non-binary gay person. And Callie is also a serial entrepreneur as well. So he doesn't own a coaching business, but Callie and his husband provide direct marketing and other automation services to small businesses like Think email sales funnel design and larger nonprofits. Callian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and actually like talking with your community and actually being on like a queer run podcast is really fun. So I don't feel like there's enough for us that aren't just talking about like other aspects of our community, especially in business. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I'm working with a business coach and this is part of my like business coach process. And I actually have a call tonight and I'm like, you know, Jamie, I think I want to get this up and running because people are asking for it. And, you know, he has like, you've got to record 100 shows. And I'm like at 50 something and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm ready to get this launched. <laughs> yeah, like one a week, that's a whole year. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's supposed to be a daily show. But also, too, I think, you know, he also comes from a podcasting mentality and all he does is podcasts, you know, and I found my, my business and my other podcast is coming out and beyond. And that's where I get most of my clients from, from my, um, from my later in life groups. And so podcasting does work as a email, as a marketing tool. So, but he is like a serial, like podcaster and I am not. So I am a caregiver and a purpose-driven entrepreneur. That's who I am. So Killian, tell me a little bit about your queer journey. Yeah, so it has been quite a journey, as I'm sure it has for all of us. But let's see. So I actually knew from when I was like really young that I was trans. Like it was in my, um, like I was I think I was three years old and I was reading my mom's baby book she made of me. And I remember reading in it that apparently I was pestering her about like, why wasn't I a boy? Like, couldn't I be a boy? <laughs> like, um, so from a really young age, I've kind of known that I was trans, but I didn't really know what being trans was until I was in you college. So that's when I, yeah. Exactly. So that's when I came out. I just always felt a little bit weird. And there were some complicated things too, because I'm someone who lives with um, dissociative identity disorder for a while after experiencing some very serious like early childhood trauma. So that affected my gender identity too. And, you know, having these different alternate identities essentially alters. Uh, but now, you know, having that sort of clarity over time, when I really kind of came out as trans, yeah, I was in college, I went to an art school. So like I was studying illustration, which of course was like the best environment to have your queer awakening. I still identified as part of the LGBTQ community. I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'm bisexual, maybe I'm asexual. Like there was a lot of kind of question around my sexuality. And then I joined the pride group, met some trans people and I was like, oh, okay. 
okay. Uh, didn't take me very long into my experience to actually realize like, oh, okay, this fits. It did take me a little bit longer though to realize that I wasn't just transmasculine. Like I wasn't, you know, a binary trans person, that my gender identity was much more on the sort of agender, gender fluid sort of kind of spectrum. And I don't know if I have like the perfect language for my identity yet. I very much feel like me. I feel like I move in flux between sexuality and between gender and all of that. But I mostly just use gay as a catch-all for my sexuality and usually gender fluid for my identity leading on the like masculine side. So that's sort of where I am now. But but I've done a lot over the years doing a lot of like trans advocacy, especially in anti-trafficking spaces. So that trauma that I experienced when I was younger was child trafficking and is an unfortunate thing that the trans community faces a lot of. So I have done a lot of advocacy in that. But, you know, at some point I kind of burned out and I was like, okay, I need to take care of myself first and like do this advocacy, but much more on the side, not as my job, not as, you know, what's really kind of fueling me. So I still do very purpose-based work, but it's, you know, I'm meeting my own needs first um, this time. So that was a big part of my career journey too. Yeah. 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 Like my later in life stuff, it's, you know, my coming out later in life was incredibly hard and, and I saw a need in the community to create something for the later in life community because, you know, people would often come out later in life and have so much shame over that. And then they would have shame that maybe they didn't suffer enough to be a part of the community. And I'm always like, you were in the closet for 30 years. That's a lot of suffering. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. And, and also too, I, I just want to affirm for people who, you know, are listening to this show is that what Kellyanne spoke about is that a lot of times people start with sexuality and then, and sometimes they do claim a sexuality, but then they realize it's more about gender for them than it is about sexuality, or it may be a combination of both because I have had trans men in my groups that started the journey as a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And so as time has gone on, they have, you know, they realized it was more for gender for them. And it's, it's, you know, for some of us, you know, figuring out their sexuality, that's the stopping place. But for others of us, it is not. And it keeps on going and going. And you finally, you're like, please stop. Please. <laughs> yeah. I just just want to stay in one place. <laughs> like, can I just know who I am today? I'm like, you yeah. know, be done with it, but, <laughs> yeah, whatever, but that's, so. and I also understand like helping people that have, have had similar experiences than you is about coaching and you working with people with child trafficking and also getting burnt out that when you're doing that kind of work, like my later in life people, I was work. I worked in hospice for seven years as a hospice chaplain before I started doing this work. So I have been, and then I was a chaplain for like six years before I did hospice work. So I have been doing almost 20 years of work of people being in transition and change and loss and grief. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I want to be with people who are like, you know, I'm doing business coaching now. I want to be with people who are planning their lives and want to do something different and know it's going to be scary, but are also not being held back by so many different messages in their life and stuff like that. So I I think sometimes serial entrepreneurs just, you know, are like, okay, I want to do something new. So what are you doing now, Callian? Yeah. So right now what I'm doing is I'm actually partnered with my husband and we're doing basically like email automation marketing. So we kind of have two facets to our business. One is a little bit of a smaller project sort of thing, which is working on building and revising email sales funnels for small businesses. So, you know, if someone is a coach or an e-course designer, they sell digital products or even like physical products, subscription boxes, whatever that is, we help them design their sales funnel. So getting someone from their new subscriber on their list all the way to being a paying customer 
customer, increasing conversion rates, all of that sort of stuff. So we do the full suite stuff. We do everything from like brand analysis all the way through really designing and copywriting the funnels, testing, implementation, tagging, segmentation, all that joyous stuff that takes a long time to learn and is much better than just... Which, you know, which makes my brain go like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all those terms, but I don't, I have literally no interest in learning them. Yeah. See, you know, I love it for some reason. Oh, well, you, yeah, that's the, like, I know, I think you must have to be a statistics person to like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've always liked like, my research studies. Like I kind of read research studies on my, in my spare time. So like, maybe that's where it comes from. But, but yeah, so I love that sort of stuff. Um, I'm not a fan of like Google analytics that like ads and stuff. That's not my thing. It's the sweet spot in between. It's the email stuff. I like the communicating with people. Like that's what I really love and really reaching people into people's hearts. So we do that as one aspect of our business. And then we also do more large scale automation projects for nonprofits to help kind of elevate their businesses do operations management style stuff. So we've been really kind of working on crafting that niche. And that's been really cool, especially because those are like much larger, you know, 25K plus jobs. Mm -hmm. So that's also where like, I love making that impact. So that's kind of our main focus now, um, but we do still do these smaller projects for small businesses too. So what would be, uh, I'm gonna ask you a bunch of, uh, of questions now. Email, I think email lists are sometimes really ignored by people. They get really hung up on social media followers and stuff like that. And I believe emails are lifeblood of the business because they're, they're direct customers or followers who want to hear from you and want to see what you're offering and stuff like that. So I've been really focusing on building my email list over the last couple of months. And like, and, and now I think back of some of the things that I did and I'm like, why didn't like, I have really big social Facebook groups and I'm like, why didn't I capture every email? <laughs> but when I started it, I wasn't doing this. So I know why. So what are your some what are some of your suggestions for people who are trying to build an email list? Because a lot of my listeners are. Yeah. So I would say um, my biggest suggestion is not so much in like how you build the list, but it's A, how do you build the right list? So who are you trying to reach? And specifically, how will they become customers? So it's that idea of like, you can't just think of like, oh, I need to capture as many emails and names as possible, because that's just going to be kind of a waste of time for you. It's more of this idea of what's the end goal here? What do I want to nurture them into? And then kind of backtrack it. So be like, let's say that you have a coaching package or something, you're like top tier coaching package. And then below that, maybe you have something that's like a little intro five-day e-course or something like that, right? So you're thinking of like, okay, I want them to join that so they're familiar with me. And then I want them to go into this higher tier thing. And then maybe there's a membership or something else. But it's that idea of like, here's how I want to be relating to people on my list. And then you're thinking about, okay, who would be interested in both of those? And what would they want to hear? to start with. What story of mine? Um, what do they want to know about my experience? What do they want to know about their own lives? What questions can I answer? How can I deliver some sort of freebie or something like that mm -hmm. in a way that really kind of connects with them from that first email that they get? So it's not so much about like, how do you get the subscribers, but it's how do you get the right subscriber? So what opt-in are you providing all the way through? How do you make sure that like once they're in that list, their email isn't wasted because like when they first sign up, they're going to have the most interest in your brand, like because they just signed up, right? They just consented to receive information mm -hmm. from you. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't want to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to capture their email now and then tell them about something seven months later, you know, and it's that idea of like, you want to have that nurturing um, sequence to start. And that can be as simple as like, let's say you're a new business, right? You don't have the money to like hire an email marketer like me or something like that. It can be as simple as like a three-step email automation that you can make in like MailChimp or AWeber or something like that. And it's just a simple like, 
okay, here's the opt-in, the freebie that I'm giving them. Um, here's a little bit about me. Here's what I offer. Okay, you're still at least delivering and putting your brand forward in front of them. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, once your business is in a spot where you're, you know, your revenue is four or 5,000 plus per month, then you can start to think, okay, how can I optimize this? How can I create a funnel that really works for my business, introduces people to every important aspect of my brand. And it does it all just without you having to really lift a finger. Once it's built, it's done and it's ready to go. And it's going to work really, really well, well for you. Yeah. And um, I have an automation with which I just I mean, you know, I was a beginning entrepreneur and, you know, you learn like things that. So I have a pop up on my website. It's five places to get started when you're coming out later in life. And we had that for a long time and collected all those emails. But then we did an automation. So like we have an automation of like seven emails that go out that introduce me, introduce this Facebook group, introduce like talk about divorce and coming out later in life. So the things that my typical client has. And I don't know how successful it is, but I feel at least I'm nurturing the clients beyond just giving them a free PDF they can download, you know, I'm it, because I feel like that is my, the way I coach is that the people that want to spend the money to pay me to work with them one-on-one, -on -one, they also support all the freebies yeah. <laughs> to people because some people honestly can't afford things. And so they can't afford a coach. They can't even afford a therapist. But if you can give them great content that they can use to help themselves, then I feel like it's really important to me to do good content because I know people can't afford, like not everybody can afford everything. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges you have with running your business? Yeah. So, um, so I think the biggest thing is kind of this, well, as you mentioned in the beginning, I'm a serial entrepreneur, right? So I've kind of had my like I've been in so many different spaces in the business world. Um, I've done illustration work. I published a dog themed tarot deck, um, which was really fun. It was like a five-year project. It was super fun, um, had a really good launch on Kickstarter. So that was something that I've done. I've done a lot of disability and anti-trafficking advocacy. And then I actually started in more of a, like a mindfulness intuitive coaching space. So that's like where I got my roots, first business that I ran. Mm -hmm. And then after this 10 years experience of running so many different businesses, and, you know, I created an e-course with this complex, like 80 step sales funnel, <laughs> you know, like all of these like really intense segmentation. And, you know, that idea of like, like for you, right. It's that idea of like, if they're dealing with divorce versus they've never been in a long-term relationship, you segment them into different right. spots and, and talk to them in that way. So right. um, in case no one's familiar with like what segmentation is, that's a kind of quick, quick idea. So that's a quick idea. Now all... you've taught me something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> so anyway, so I had a serial entrepreneurship, right? And I think my biggest challenge was one of them that I faced a couple months ago was learning not to do things alone. So I stepped into this sort of virtual assistant slash marketing specialist, but we did full suite stuff. So this was when I got too tired of the anti-trafficking work that I was doing. I'm like, I need to take care of myself. I need to make a more like living wage, um, a bunch of this sort of stuff. And I stepped into this more full suite marketing, then realized that as I was working with clients, like definitely email marketing, which I had experience with for more than six years now, but that was where I was like, okay, this is really shining. Um, this is what I really like doing. And I had kind of taken my husband on as sort of like part-time help for the business. And then I realized, oh, we're, we're really, really well together when we do this. So we were like, okay, let's, let's pivot in this direction. So it's kind of this idea of like, we're in this 
the challenge is sort of like we're in this early pivot stage um, where I have a bunch of connections over this 10 years of entrepreneurship, a ton of experience, but I don't have case studies is my biggest thing because I wasn't expecting to be doing this work like this. You know, I was like doing email marketing because it helped me or I was doing email marketing because it was like, yeah, you know what? I can help you with that. And it wasn't like my main focus. So it's that kind of idea of like, how do I prove myself to these people besides just saying like, yeah, I have six plus years experience and I've done these sort of things. And it's that kind of stuff. So I think it takes a while to build like a robust amount of case studies when you're doing work that's very like you really need case studies for. It's like people need to know that you can make them money when they invest in you. They need to know there's a return on the investment. And like we have those guarantees and everything like that. And that helps in lieu of case studies, but it still is that idea of like, you know, that's our biggest hurdle, I think. So we've been doing a couple, like we did a couple of free like email sales funnels, sales funnel audits specifically. So like a smaller project together a little bit. We're in the space where we're like still doing a, a little bit of discounting in our services. So we're doing that in exchange for case studies. We're trying to build up like connections with the people we really want to work with because there's so many email marketers out there. And then at the same time, we're also doing that thing where you flow with the direction of your business, which is always in the first like probably five years of running a business, you kind of just follow its path rather than your own, you know? And yep. I think that that's kind of an interesting thing, right? Um, that mm -hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs are like, I have this plan and it's going to go perfect. And then your plan, you look back and you're like, oh, I didn't follow like any of that. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's like a big part and kind of a challenge is like letting go. And that's sort of how we stumbled into this nonprofit, like automation services. And we realized like that's a totally missing niche and something like we completely have the skills and the networking connections to do. So we're really working on like elevating nonprofits and helping them maintain their budgets. Like we're going to save this one hundred over a hundred thousand dollars. How do you like, so how do you save them money? Can you explain? Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't want to go too in detail because yeah, we're kind yeah. of carving our own niche, but it's the sort of idea of there's a lot of tasks nonprofits have and that they're spending like man hours and time doing. They need to hire operations managers, that sort of thing. And instead of hiring an operations manager, we just replace it with an automated operation system. So we build it customized for that nonprofit for about half the cost, half to like two thirds of the cost of the operations manager. And then it runs for the lifetime of the organization. So you found this niche with the nonprofits that you were not expecting. So would you consider that a success for your business? Oh yeah, huge success. Um, especially because my first proposal that I gave on this was an instant yes, like for way more than I've ever been paid for any project in the past. So it was kind of this idea of like, I was really nervous going into it because, you know, especially as like a marginalized person, right? We always undersell ourselves. And I think that that's like a huge thing that we tend to do. And I have a lot of tricky relationships to money, um, just having like experience with human trafficking and stuff, uh, which is a very like economic crime in a lot of ways. So I was in this spot where I'm like, okay, you know what? I am going to ask for $25,000 for this one project. And I proposed it and I showed them their cost analysis savings over three years. And it was just an instant, like, I do not know why this doesn't exist. And I'm really excited to kind of push into that because I feel like it's the space where like my heart is in it. I have the total skill set to do it. Um, my husband can work perfectly side by side with me. And it's just this like really exciting, yeah, success spot for our business. So, and it was something that I'm like, why isn't this like something that I'm finding from other people? So it's really cool to kind of be able to craft a niche in a way and everything like that. Yeah. 
Well, I understand that because with the later in life people, that was a niche nobody mm-hmm. had taught, like taught, thought about before. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like, have you ever read the billion billionaire code? You know where they I haven't actually. Yeah, no. but the, it's really interesting because it sounds like you're at the part now where you're at the promoter stage where you you've sort of built the business. You know what you're doing. You've you've learned from the mistakes you made. I love when you said before that you know. <laughs> It, it's not a straight line. You know, no. there's a lot of ups and downs. You will make mistakes as an entrepreneur and, and you, things that you think are just going to go boom and take off. Don't, I'll never forget. I've done, I've had one like TikTok of Instagram thing go viral. And it was my wife and I literally sat on the porch one day and just talked about how like we fell in love and we met each other later in life. We were both, you know, like 52 when we met and, you know, she'd been out for gazillion years. I had just, I was just coming out and that went viral. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had like 150,000 views. It's not mega viral where you get a million. That was a good thing. Kellyanne, in a million years, I didn't <laughs> expect that to go viral. And then these ones that I'm like, oh, this is going to go far so far. It doesn't. So, you know, I don't know if there's a magic formula in which you figure out what's going to. I think you just, you know, I think people really improve. I really appreciate stories. And they really appreciate vulnerability and two women who are 50, early 50s talking about how they fell in love with each other was probably something people hadn't seen before, you know, and and I can't honestly can't imagine that in 2023. (laughs) But, you know, it's like people just don't talk. And like, that's the thing is that like part of I think my mission here in this world is to talk about things that people haven't talked about before. So Mm -hmm. and the later in life stuff. Um, I, I have found I really want to feel called right now to talk about like estrangement in the queer community and how mm-hmm. so many of us deal with estrangement. Either people are estranging away from us or us, you know, no longer having relationships. And even if it's a good thing you, for you to be estranged from somebody in your life, it still hurts and it's still painful and you still miss them, you know, all those things like that. So I'm like, lately I'm like, oh gosh, I feel like the universe is calling me to do that work now too. So, so how about some other successes you'd like to share? Yeah. So, um, so I think one of my biggest successes too is learning how to balance rest and work. And I think that's something that like entrepreneurs don't talk a lot about because we're like, oh, hustle culture, hustle culture, right? Like that's the huge thing. It's like, oh, you got to power through the first couple of years and everything like that. And it's like, we need to remember, especially as queer folks, that we are exhausted by the life we live and the way that the world treats us already. And when we decide to embark on a journey of entrepreneurship, which is a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of terrifying risk that you have to jump into and take, you end up really being prone to burnout. And I think it's so important to recognize that like rest is really, really critical. And I learned this when I was doing the the anti-trafficking work and everything like that, that I burned out so quick. And I was like, I don't have the stamina to keep doing this work. I love the impact that I'm making, but it is way too taxing on me. I'm not getting paid enough, everything like that. So I think it's really important that 
like I guess based on one of my my successes was really realizing that when I put rest first, I make more money. And I think that that's actually true for a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think it's a terrifying thing to do because we're like, well, if I take time away from work, I'm not going to make as much. But it's like you're more clear headed. The opportunities you take are a lot more intentional. They're a lot more aligned with what you really want to do. You show up with more attention and everything in those opportunities. Um, and I think that all helps your business really grow. And then I would also say too that like, it's just so important because like if you burn out, you could be out for months, you know, and it's that idea too. And I'm someone, so I live with a chronic illness. I live with ME-CFS, which means that like if I burn out or overdo it, I can become very sick. Like it crashes my immune system, crashes my neurological system, a bunch of things, very much not good. And so I learned like I have to put rest first, but I also think that that's a really good lesson for entrepreneurs. And it's been a real point of success for me is to be able to do that, to actually be able to be like, you know what, my capacity is working four hours a day four days a week. Like that's what I can manage right now. That's what my health is allowing me. And like, I'm going to work within that container. And I don't think that that's nearly as impossible as long as you're asking for your worth. And I think as queer people, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, like we tend to undercharge. And I think it's really important to think, okay, I have a harder and more expensive life because of societal factors, right? It's just more difficult for me as a queer person, and especially if you have other marginalization too. So like you're disabled, you're BIPOC, you know, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking about like, I should be charging more because it's harder for me to live and I have a higher cost of living, not less than my peers. And really kind of crafting that sense of like worth is going to be really, really important. And once I started doing that, that was really when I started to be like, wow, my needs are met. Like I can actually get out of, you know, the US, which is not really a safe country for me, both because of my trafficking experiences and just being LGBTQ. Like I can actually, you know, live in Santiago de Chile for a couple months and then I can go and move to the country I want to move to and have all of these sort of things and those sort of experiences because I'm providing more of myself, both in a rest capacity and in like a wealth capacity. So I think it's really important to practice that. So I just want to say that that was absolutely beautiful. I am like, okay, well, I have my cut for social media. <laughs> just wrote it down. <laughs> I just wrote it down and I'm going to tell my, my producer, Barb, this is what I want you to cut from this. <laughs> As queer folks, we don't often acknowledge the marginalizations that are against us. And those of us who are, you know, have intersectionality with that you know, that are already marginalized because of their skin color or whatever, uh, the, just their ableness, it, it, it just takes a toll. And I don't think we talk about that as, as much. I'll never forget working as a chaplain in the hospital. And I was at Bridgeport Hospitals, Bridgeport, Connecticut, and um, noticing that the black men died 10 to 15 years younger than the white men. Like to find a black man that lived into their late 80s, like white guys all the time, <laughs> all the time <laughs> to find it. And, and like that was the first time I was really hit with like how much society's hate takes a toll on people yeah. who are not part of the majority. Yeah. And then I have this very unique experience having lived as a white privileged woman for my entire life because I was perceived to be straight and I lived a straight life. And and then now I'm married to a woman and now I'm in the South. And like how much like privilege there is that people who are straight are just totally unaware of. 
And my my friends that are trans women often talk about the loss of male privilege because and they didn't real of course, didn't realize they had it, you know, and, you know, now getting talked to, you know, like they're an idiot. No, especially my my trans women friends that were like, you know, ran electrical systems and power plants. Stuff like no. that. <laughs> They're like, listen, dude, I know. <laughs> but because they're very femme presenting now and, and women, they just, you know, they they're just assumed not to know or not smart enough. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just crazy. It, it really is. So I'm going to skip your piece of advice because that was your great piece of advice. And so I really appreciate that success that you've had. And I hope that everybody else really listens to it. And I've been listening to that lately. Like, I'm like, you know, I don't have to work like a maniac to have a successful life. And I've started to realize for me, a successful life includes downtime, and mm-hmm. also freedom. Like I hated when I have to had to apply for PTO and stuff, <laughs> paid time right. off when I worked with no. a corporation. Hated it. And and I worked for a nonprofit and I had to do it for that too. But like to have my own life and say, oh, let's go to Washington in a couple of weeks, you know, and I can work from my, anywhere. That yeah. is the beauty of my life. And I, you know, so I really appreciate what you said about what rest, Kelly, and I really did. Yeah. Oh, can actually, can I jump in with one one sure, thing too? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, I just want to say too that like that idea of providing rest for entrepreneurs too is also why I'm so passionate about the automation work that I do. Is because like I realized that's what really allowed my business to do a lot better was this idea of like how can I you know simplify my own workflows, right? You know, it's that idea of like how can I make things easier for myself so that it doesn't take me as much effort to land a sale, to land a connection, you know, all of these things, and like. I just want to say just from a personal like space of passion that like that's one reason I really care about this email automation work is because I love being able to see people go from like, I'm so overwhelmed. I want to grow my business, but it's way too much for me. I can't take time off to like, wow, I can actually like take a two week vacation and still make sales or like I can still build connections that will, you know, be there and ready when I come back into the office. And I just love that ability and like on our website, we talk about like how we really help, you know, chronically ill people and like entrepreneurs and um, burned down entrepreneurs. And I think that that's, you know, something that we have way too many of. And, you know, whether it's, you know, with someone who does email automation stuff or on your own, I just really want to encourage like other people to look into how can I automate and simplify the flow of my business? Because like, that's going to be how you can cultivate more rest without losing and honestly, probably making more sales. Well, and that's actually part of Honestly, I want you to go take my last email I sent out and I said something about the billing. Go take a look at that because what you're talking about is in the promoter phase. So people who are already in successful like or semi-successful coaching businesses, that automation, that like finding systems is where you're finding systems that work for you and email automation is a system that works, you know, that works for people and it takes stuff off your plate. So, you know, maybe having it and knowing where to plug somebody else in, into the system so that they get the right emails is really absolutely beautiful. So how can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me and my husband at wintermarketingstudio.com. 
really easy. Every word spelled exactly like how you expect it to be. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. So, um, so that's where you can find us. And like, if you are someone looking into automation, um, we can help you build your funnel. Um, we can also, if you have one and you just want a revision, we do that as well. So we do audits and we also do more complex full in sort of revisions. And then if you happen to know a nonprofit organization or you run one, like that's really where our heart is, especially working with LGBTQ organizations. So please, please reach out. I would absolutely love to connect with you, um, whether that's we work with you now or we work with you three years later into your organization, anything like that. That would be absolutely lovely. Or if you just want to say hi, like I would definitely love that. All right, Kelly. And it was it was really a joy talking to you today. I really appreciate all your wisdom. Thank you so much from uh, talking to me from Chile. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, Kellyanne's a digital nomad, so that's where he is today. So we don't know where we'll talk to him next time where he'll be. But today he's in Chile. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's really been such a pleasure to talk. And I hope that this resonates with a lot of your community and helps plenty of people too. Mm -hmm. I hope so too. It's resonated with me. So thank you very much. Awesome. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA plus businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.